Well, hi, everyone, and we are ready to start Genesis chapter 28 and 29. But first, um, let's just kind of remember 27. And so before we do that, let's just take a look at our Bibles and believe with all of our heart that this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. We finished in 27 with such a sad story about this family. I mean, they are, they are so dysfunctional, every one of them. Isaac has been deceived. Rebecca has, has been the one to connive this plan. Um, you have two boys who really are being controlled by favoritism, and it's just sad. All I can say is sad. But the first question that I gave you was life goes on, and it does, but more importantly, God's plan goes on, and God is so faithful, and he's so willing to use broken people, and these people are broken, but then I thought to myself, what else does he have? All of us are broken, and yet he will get his plan through. And so we go into Genesis 28, and so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Badan Aram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So it almost sounds like Isaac has has kind of resolved the fact that that um, Jacob is the one with the blessing that God did intend for the older to serve the younger, and, and so now he is going to bless Jacob. Now, is Jacob any better right now? I, I don't think. Either boy is in good shape. But but we have a God who can see ahead and who who can see a heart and he he knows that there's potential here. He's gonna he's gonna have to really work on Jacob for whatever reason. He has chosen Jacob and and Isaac has now now gone along with it, I guess. So he blesses of Jacob by saying to him, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. It's kind of like we were given a little family tree there. So you can see this is a family, and Isaac was very firm about not only blessing Jacob, but making sure he found a wife from their family, from their people. Now, you wonder kind of what, what is going on in their minds. What's going on when Isaac blesses Jacob? What is going on in Jacob's mind? What's going on in Rebecca's mind? Because, you see, now when Jacob leaves, he will not see his father until 20 years, and that will be on his deathbed. He will never see his mom again. Now, here, you, you maybe don't think about that too much, but, you know, he was a mama's boy. And, and to know that he might not see any of his family again, it had to it had to give him some impression. And think of what Rebecca lost. 
by, by conniving this plan, and, and yet it seems like that's all well and good. You know, she's in her mind, she's got, you know, reasons for what she did, but, but really, the results, the consequences, the pain, she, she will never see her boy again. I mean, her family is divided. They, Esau is threatening to kill Jacob. And I can't even, as a mom, you know, with two boys, I can't even, I can't even comprehend what that must have been like in that family at that time. But it says that, that um, this is what it was. And now God has got a whole kind of different plan that's in motion. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to on Aram to take away from there. That when he blessed him, he commanded him to do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So he's hearing this. You know, he is hearing that that um, Jacob was blessed and commanded. And then I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder if he's sorry in any way. I mean, I mean, you know, his his dad, he was a favorite to Isaac. And so um, it's like these, these mother and, and father each picked a son. I mean, favoritism. I know that will never work. That will never, ever end good. And it certainly didn't. So he is still trying to please his father. And so this is what he did. He then realized how displeased Canaanite women were to his father, Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth and daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. I mean, you can't look at that and say, well, at least he's trying well, he, he, he might be trying, but you can tell his heart, he doesn't even think about what he is actually doing because he's just adding to the problem, but he's trying to fix things with his father. And so he goes to Ishmael, marries one of his, his daughters, and thinks that's going to appease Isaac. Yeah, maybe you got to give him a little credit for him trying, but he doesn't get it. Bottom line, he just doesn't get it. You can't have it both ways. We've been talking about that in Genesis. That, you know, when you try to you try to have your spiritual walk with the Lord, and yet you still want to walk in your own direction, and the two do not mix. And so here, when you see um, when you see Esau trying to appease Isaac, he's trying to play both sides. He just doesn't get it. We have to be sold out to the Lord. You can't, I remember saying in one of the lessons, you can't go hand in hand with old nature and new nature. You just can't. It doesn't work. So here we have um, Esau trying to do both, and no, it does not work. So that's where we leave Rebecca and Isaac and Esau for now. Now, Jacob, look, he is, he's alone. He probably doesn't, he probably, it kind of went fast, so he probably doesn't have much belongings, or he is basically, when he took off, he ran for safety pretty much, and he doesn't have anything with him, and yet he, he left her, she must 
out for Aaron. Yeah, all alone, all alone. And Aaron, where did we hear about that before? Aaron. You know, he was heading toward Aaron, which is where he will see um, Laban and his family. But Aaron, we, we know that because that's where when Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and then, then they settled in Haran before God then called Abraham and Sarah out to begin their, their venture to start fulfilling the covenant promise in Genesis 12. So it's kind of like uh, familiar territory. I mean, knowing that this was this this heron was affiliated with his grandfather and his mother, because this is where this is where Rebecca is from. So he set out for Heron, and when he reached a certain place, he he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Oh, that just makes me, that gives me the shivers to think about it. I mean, he's outside in the wild and he, he has no covering. He has probably brought nothing with him and, and he takes a stone for a pillow and just lays on the ground and what an experience he's going to have. You know, I said before, you know, Esau and, and Jacob, neither one of them were in a good spot. You know, you have a tendency to think Jacob is so much better, but he wasn't at this time. He wasn't at all in a good spot. And, and what's, what's so beautiful here is that God just takes these, this young man, and, and really is on the run, and he is heading to the unknown and has nothing, and yet God is so in control and, and is going to start changing him. He's chosen Jacob to be in the line of our Savior. But, oh, does he have to work on Jacob? And he starts by when Jacob lays his head on that stone, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants a land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I read that all in one, one piece there. Because try to fathom, he lays down on this stone, and he immediately has this dream where he pictures this ladder. You know, as kids, we all know about the ladder of Jacob's dream. But, you know, as we grow spiritually, God uses as this dream, but he uses this symbolism. He uses this to... to you know, show us Jesus and what Jesus is going to do for us all. And, and so let's just take a look at this ladder. I mean, you 
picture, picture this. You, you have um, this ladder reaching from heaven to earth. You have God, the Father, who is standing at the head of this ladder. You have Jacob in his weakened state, who probably you know, is trying to comprehend this. And he's looking up, and you have angels ascending and descending. But this ladder, what does that ladder represent? And I mean, it is Jesus. This ladder will always be the go-between that they need between God and man. That is the way it was. That's the way it is. Jesus is the go-between before God the Father, between God the Father and us. What a beautiful picture. You know, I read a quote by Charles Spurgeon, and he said, the God of Bethel is a God who is, is so concerned about the things of the earth. He's not a God who shuts himself into heaven and just kind of closes his eyes to what's going on. But he has ladder fixed between heaven and earth, and his name is Jesus. That's why Jesus is called the, the one high priest with capital letters. He is our go-between. The verse in, in John chapter 14 where Jesus says these words so beautifully, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. That's our only access. In John chapter 1, I mean, you know the story. When, when Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus, and, and Nathaniel was the one that said, what good can come from Nazareth? So he didn't have the greatest attitude or belief, but Philip took him anyway. And he said, Philip said, come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here is a true Israelite in, in whom there is nothing false. I think he was saying, well, here comes someone who, who has no filter. I mean, he, he, he will say what he's thinking, and you can, you can know that what he says he means. And, and it, it kind of made me smile when I, when I read that. He's real. He's honest. Nathaniel said, how do you know I'm like that? How do you know me? And Jesus said, oh, I saw you while you were under the fig tree when Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Oh, but you will see such greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So you, you know that was in reference to Jacob's experience. When you need your eyes open to see, to get to God, to, to rebuild a broken relationship with him, to, to have sins forgiven, to have that divide come together. It's Jesus that does that. He is the ladder. He is the bridge. He is that between. You know, that song, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. That came to my mind. It goes on. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness and shame, Jesus, my Savior, I met. 
Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend. He met the need of my heart. Shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling. He made all my darkness depart. And then the chorus goes, Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. See, this is what Jesus was doing for Jacob. This is what Jesus does for us. We need to see Jesus and go through Jesus. And this is how the gospel then began. And this is how we then come to our salvation through Jesus. And then we know his cross and his blood and the empty tomb. But I still think this is such a, a picture already starting of what Jesus is going to do. And then when you hear God speak to Jacob, I mean, this isn't it. This is something that is, is I mean, I can, in this dream, I, I just, I can't even have the words sometimes because I'm thinking he's laying there and he's dreaming this and, and he sees and pictures this ladder and, and what a sight that must have been in his mind. But then to hear God's voice and he says things and says, I am, I mean, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants. I mean, I'm sure he had known this promise. He, I'm sure his, his father Isaac told him about when God came to Abraham and said he was going to make him a great nation and, and this covenant promise. And now Jacob is hearing God say these words directly to him to, to say, I'm passing this now down to you. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. I mean, it's one thing to hear it from your dad, but it's another thing to have it reaffirmed through the voice of God. This, this is going to be a life-changing experience for Jacob when he hears your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed. Well, all, they'll all be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I mean, it had been wonderful to hear the reaffirming of the land and the descendants and but to me the greatest part of this was when God reassured him you you might be alone now Jacob you might feel like you are alone and you have no idea what's ahead of you and and maybe you are very nervous and but let me let me just reassure you that I am the Lord God and I am with you and I will be with you where Ever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
that remind you of a verse that Paul said in Philippians 6? I, I just enjoy um, intertwining Old and New Testament to, to watch how God doesn't change. And when Paul said these words in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. God won't let us go until his work is complete in us. See, that means that you and I are not going to leave here a second early or late. God knows when his purpose and his reason for us being here has been completed. So he's reassuring Jacob for sure. Just know, he's saying, I won't leave you. I will be with you, and you and I will walk through this together, and you will not lose me until your job is completed, and then I bring you back to myself. That was, well, at least for me, I read these verses, and how often don't we need to be reassured of these same words of God. I am, I will, and then to hear him say, and I'll be there with you, and you will be left on this earth until your job is complete. Because he who started the good work in us will stay with us until that work has been accomplished. I don't think that there's any part of this talk here that God had with Jacob that is so meaningful that the part where he just promises him that he will be with him past, present, and future. But shouldn't that be our greatest and most precious promise that God has given us that we do not walk through the good times or the bad times alone. The great promise is that I will never leave you. And we can count on that until we see him face to face. I think even David knew that in Psalm 139 when he pretty much asked this question, but yet it's kind of like a question statement. Where can I go from you and your spirit? Where can I, where can I go? Where can I flee from your presence? It's not that he wants to. He's just saying there's no way I'll ever go anywhere do anything that he isn't there. So then we go on, and when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, oh, did you think about that? I mean, I did. I thought when he woke up, like, what just happened here? I mean, that was a phenomenal experience, and he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. My first thought was, it's not the place, Jacob. If you think that, oh boy, did I stop in the right, right place tonight for, for some sleep, like maybe this was, it was a place that, that was so holy or whatever. I thought, no, no, Jacob, you have to learn this lesson. It's not a place. It's him. And if he doesn't learn quickly that, that God has to be with him everywhere and whatever he does, then he's not going to be able to do what he's called to do. 
he was afraid. I'm sure he was startled, afraid. But yet he said, how awesome is this place? Now here's a, here's a man who, who um, well, I consider this experience to be the beginning of Jacob's relationship with God is, is like salvation. And we know salvation can happen and will happen in an instant. The minute you, the second you recognize that Jesus is your Savior, you are saved. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord you will be saved. Salvation happens in an instant. But oh my, does he need, and oh my, do we need to learn how now to live in Christ. Our whole purpose, our whole reason for living is different. It's not about us anymore. And that takes a while, and you're going to see it in Jacob's life here. He says, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So he met God personally, kind of like when we studied Hagar, when she said to when she said, I now know the God who sees me. When you recognize it's not this religion that we profess is, is not really a religion, but a relationship. But when you recognize it's personal, it's not just generic, everybody. The change in our lives come when we recognize that God loves me. God wants a relationship with me. I want a relationship with him. And we start this beautiful and wonderful and life-changing experience with God Almighty. That happens in an instant. But already in the next verse, I mean, you can see now the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. Though the city used to be called Luz, but now it's called Bethel. And it will be a place that Jacob doesn't forget. He knows what happened. Can you can you remember? Can you remember the place or the time when all of a sudden you realized that you can have a real relationship with God? I mean, you might have heard this the Sunday school stories and you you know you you knew facts of Jesus. But when he became personal to you, can you remember, was it in a Bible study and you, the word you were reading, all of a sudden you realized, that's me, that's for me. There has to be a time. I know so many people don't, I don't know, I... I I was always a Christian. No, you weren't because you had to choose to follow Christ. You might have been blessed to be in a Christian home. But there has to be a time when, well, the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. If that's you and that's me, because there's one of us that is not a sinner in need of a savior. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
there has to be a time when that realization hits you, hits your heart, and you know, even though you were a good person, maybe a good churchgoer, you needed a savior. I think so many people, church people, they're missing that. And then, unfortunately, they're missing salvation. And that's when they're going to be so surprised someday when Jesus says, I never knew you. And they come back, yeah, but I was here, and I went to church, and I was good, and I gave. And, and he's going to say, I never knew you. So it is something very important to think about. When did Jesus become real to me? When did this relationship, this religion become a relationship and bridged and was the ladder between God and me? When did that ladder named Jesus become the one that could save the only one salvation is found in none other. Well, I think this is what happened to Jacob at Bethel. And Bethel will always be a special place. And I hope and pray when you're thinking about this that you will, that you will in your mind and heart realize there was a special place that it dawned on me that I'm a sinner, but I have a Savior. And you take that humbling walk to the cross. Then verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute. Because maybe in some, um, maybe in some translations, maybe it could mean, since God will be with me and watch over me in this country, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. If God. See, if it says since, since God's going to be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me the food and the clothes, then. But knowing Jacob and knowing that when you, you can be saved in an instant, but to learn how to leave self beside and to learn how to to listen to God's voice instead of your own. He is, he is, all his life, he has been pretty much self-consumed and spoiled. And so I don't think he's changed yet. I mean, he, and so I don't think that sense is the word. I think uh, the interpretation is just what it says. He if God will be with me. That sounds like he's trying to make a deal with God here. He pretty much is saying, if you do for me, if I do this for you, then you will do this for me. And you know as well as I do that God doesn't want it this way. He wants us to step out in faith. We don't have to understand. We don't have to know everything. But because he promised, we're just going to obey. It's part of the teaching. It's part of, of Jacob's learning. But here it says, if, if I do, then... You will do. And I want you to hear, I'm going to read that again. I want you to hear the contrast. 
between what we just read about what God promised him and how to hear Jacob say this. He says, if, if God will be with me and if he will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. See, doesn't that sound like a wheeling and dealing kind of thing? Okay, I tell you, this is what God promised Jacob. I am the Lord God. I will give to you everything that I promised your grandfather and your father. I am with you and will be with you in everything you do. I will not leave. That's what God promised. Now compare that to Jacob's vow. If God will be with me, and keep me in the way that I am going. Give me bread and clothing so that I come back to my father's house. I tell you what, I, I am sure God is saying, oh, 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 do I have work to do on this man to be able to accomplish my purpose. <laughs> I'm sure God looks at you and me and says, oh my, do I have work to do on you to be able to have you accomplish the purpose I have for you. And then we're going to see, we're going to start seeing right away in the next chapter how God is going to show him through discipline and um, kind of, you will reap what you sow kind of thing. He, God has got many lessons for him in the next chapter. So then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large and went all the flocks were gathered there. The shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone in its place over the mouth of the well. So we were given a little culture lesson. Apparently this stone over the well was really heavy. And they didn't want to move it often. It was probably so hard. And these shepherds were... You know, sometimes they were girls, sometimes they were young young boys or whatever. And they, this was heavy, so um, they would probably do it when all of the all of the sheep and all of the different um, um, people that needed all the shepherds with their sheep they all got together. Then they would remove the stone and then water all the sheep at once, and then put the stone back on the, on the well. That's the way it was, that was the way it went. So when Jacob arrived, he asked the shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Oh, yes, we know him, answered. Then Jacob asked him, is he well? Yes, he is. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Now, look at this. We've been learning, haven't we, about God's timing. You know, right people, right place, right time. 
And, and then the, look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. So you can tell this isn't even the, the normal timing. Rachel's coming maybe at a different time, and yet God's got this plan in motion. And, and so Jacob just says, well, let's just do it now. And verse 8, they reply, we can't until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. In other words, we can't change things. This is the way we do it. While he was still talking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep and she was a shepherdess. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. I don't know whether he's such a big he-man or a strong man or what he, if he wanted to impress Rachel, I don't know, but he just decided that's... Laban's daughter, Rachel, I'm going to water her, I'm going to water her sheep. So he took it off the top of the well, and he did it. He just did it. See, this Jacob just does what he thinks he is going to do. I mean, he has no real understanding at this point, except, well, I'm just going, I'm going to do it. Whether you don't do it this way or not, she has come with my uncle's sheep, and I will remove the stone myself then. But then look at verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. I'm sure this had a jolt. Her. I mean, this had to be a surprise. This had to be a shock. All of a sudden, this stranger comes and kisses her and then starts sobbing and, and weeping aloud. He told her that he was relative of her father and son of Rebecca. And then she took off and ran and told her father, So much is going through um, Rachel's mind at this point. She knows he now is relative, and so she's maybe a little confused and startled and what's going on here, but yet she then runs to tell her, her father. Soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And there Jacob told him all these things. And then Laban said, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So it's been a month. I wonder if Laban knows anything about the wealth of Abraham and then Isaac and then handed to Jacob. I wonder if he's saying, hmm, this could really profit me. But yet, he knows Jacob has come with nothing. I don't know if Jacob told him the story, the fiasco of what happened. I have no idea. But, you know, Laban, he is kind of a rascal, too. And so you have no idea what is going through his mind. But he does say, hey, you know, you've been here a month, and I want to be fair. What should your wage be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the 
older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard many stories. What in the world does that mean? You know, was she cross-eyed? Was she um, um, maybe partially blind or she couldn't see real clear? You know, what does that mean? But Rachel, she was lovely in form and and just plain beautiful. And Jacob, in one month's time, oh yes, he was in love with her. And he said to Laban, I'll work for seven years, no money. Maybe room and board, but no wages. In return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days. Oh, isn't that romantic? Oh, those seven years just flew. It seemed like, it seemed like nothing because of his love for her. Went so fast and... His goal and his dream was to have Rachel as his wife. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. After seven years, my time is completed, and I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. Laban gave his servant girl Zippah to his daughter as her maidservant. Now, this is deceitful, but of course, you can't help but think that, hey, you know, what goes around comes around. Now, instead of being deceived, you know, um, you can't deceiver has now been deceived. I mean, Jacob was once the deceiver, and now he's been deceived. You know, I, I read this this week. The fact, God does work all things together for good. I mean, we can quote Romans 8.28, and it's true. God does have the ability and will work all things together for his good, but never excuses the evil things that man does. I mean, this story, you, you really see how God did turn it all out for good, and he did continue, like we said when we started, his plan is still in motion using broken people. He has a way of taking this and still turning it out for good, but it's still no excuse. He will never excuse evil the evil things men do and let them get away with it. So here, Jacob, who was a deceiver, is now deceived, and you know he's thinking, huh, that's what it feels like. He is reaping what he's sown. Major, major lesson. Now maybe you're thinking too, um, how, how did this even happen? How, what do you mean he doesn't know her? He, he was surprised the next morning. What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? I mean, why would Rachel let this happen? Why would Leah let this happen? But what I learned is that there was such um, uh, authority, a daughter's feeling of her father's word was 
law and his authority was what counted, and so they really didn't have a choice. And Laban figured out that, you know, um, they partied all day, and then at night it was dark, and she was veiled completely. Apparently, a, a bride would keep herself totally veiled till uh, when they were alone. And then Laban knew it would be dark, and maybe Jacob had too much to drink. And I mean, did did Leah have the same kind of body that, that Rachel had? I don't know. I mean, you just can think about it all you want. But the fact is, he didn't know it, and he was deceived. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week then we will give you the younger one who also, in return, for another year, seven years of work. So, okay, finish the wedding week, and then you can have Rachel, and then you will work again for seven years for her. Jacob did so. Finished the week with Leah, and Leah began, and, and, Leah, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. I'm sure you saw in verse 30, this is not going to end well. I mean, you have, you have polygamy, and you know that God doesn't approve of that. Fortunately, God was good to Leah, even though her husband and her sister weren't. Both girls, in the next verses, as we close this, both girls had what the other one wanted. Now you think, how can how can this be? I mean, how can Jacob do this to Leah because it says here when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved he opened her womb but Rachel was barren Leah became pregnant gave birth to his son I'm thinking oh God to, to, to have sex with a man that you know doesn't love you I don't mean to be so blunt here but you know that's it's just so disheartening. It's so almost humiliating. But in 1995, there was a survey. And men were asked, have you ever had sex with a woman you have actively disliked? And 58% said yes. Sadly, men are willing to have sex apart from love, and Leah was not the first, and she will not be the last. And that is a sad survey and statistic. You could see and feel and sense her, her heartbreak. I mean, she when she became pregnant, she named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Oh, what, a, what a cry. She conceived again. I mean, she, she kind of became like a baby machine there for a while, and she conceived again and gave birth to a son, and she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So Jacob must have made it very known that he didn't love her. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now, alas, my husband will become attached to me. Because 
I have bore him three sons. I mean, this, this, you just, this just hurts. You feel for this woman. So she named him Levi. So three boys just begging for her husband's love. And then in your questions, I said, can you really buy love? Can you, can you really buy love? And you can't. I mean, not just money, but here it was babies. She conceived again. Again, the Lord is working so and in teaching, in teaching Leah in her heartbreak. God is always working his plan out in your life, mine, in this situation. He, even in the greatest of suffering, he is working. And she, I don't know whether her eyes were open, whether she realized that, you know what, I am just going to stop trying to impress him or work for his love, or I don't know what happened, but she conceived and she gave birth to the son, and she said, this time, I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah, but then she stopped having children. She made such a good choice. In verse 35, she just decided, I'm going to have this baby, and he is a gift, and I am going to praise and worship the Lord. See what happened? She chose to put her focus on the Lord instead of the flesh, instead of on Jacob. She chose to look to the Lord. Somehow suffering. This is the way it was. This is the way it will be. Is that the Lord can use suffering when we are out of kilter with him. He can use suffering to draw us in or even teach us. Because she now... You can just tell she has a closer relationship to the Lord. And you know why? Because she had no one else. But sometimes it's like coming to the end of yourself. Sometimes the Lord has to bring you to the end of you. So you finally throw up your hands and you realize he is all I need. He has got a purpose and a plan for me. Maybe all this hurt and this pain and this broken heart and this longing to be loved and maybe all this suffering just caused her to realize I really have no one but the Lord and she decided I'm going for it. He, I am going to praise him for what he is doing in my life. Because she was, she was given, she was given the greatest tribes of Jacob's twelve sons. She was given the greatest of the tribes. Levi, he became the priestly tribe, and then of course we know Judah. When she threw up her hands and praised the Lord for who he was in her eyes, run him instead of, of self. Look what happened. Judah became the royal line. He became the royal tribe which Jesus came from. She might not have been the prettiest one, but in this chapter, she learned, she learned that God was who she needed. Now, she will, she will have some moments, but don't we all? But this was a monumental time in her life. 
so I can take this story, these two chapters that we do know and we've studied be before, or you've heard them in Sunday school or whatever, but they are so personal for us to take a look at ourselves. And again, remember that God is always working in our lives. He's trying to open our eyes to see truth. Maybe that's just what Genesis is meant to do. These stories are meant to do. How to deal with our personal lives in good times and in bad and to focus in on him. That's where life is fulfilling. That's where life is abundant. And Jesus said that's what he came to do for us. What a wonderful way to live. Heavenly Father, we give you these two chapters. Now we pray you will just make them so personal in our lives. Thank you for being our God. Thank you, Jesus, for being that ladder, our go-between, between God and man. That no one can come to the Father but through you, but we have this chance we have this choice to be able to put ourselves aside and to realize what our Savior has done. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for taking these familiar stories and just kind of showing us again ourselves. That you will do what you have to do to fulfill your plan using broken people to fulfill your purpose, and that is that people, all people, can see their need for you. And we pray this all in our Savior's name who makes that relationship possible. Amen.